That's one of the better opens we've had, I think. Long, drawn out. It could be this uh, this new mic I got, which I guess we should shout out to um, one of our previous, our last guest, uh, and some other folks decided to make some generous donations to the cause here, the podcast. Uh, our previous guest on Paul Winterhalter, which if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. Yep. He's like, yeah, I'll give you guys some uh, a little bit of little dinero here for a uh, for a new mic because we've been talking about it on podcasts, and so I upgraded my game. Yep. So Evan should sound better now, hopefully, if we set it up right, but. We're still or in quarantine, dude. Hear me we're still, and, man, this dude sounds terrible. <laughs> we're still stuck in the house. This quarantine stuff will not end. I mean, obviously, we need to do it, you know, flatten the curve. We all, we've all heard about that plenty at this point, but I'm getting stir crazy. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I was just talking to our guest that's joining us here, which we'll introduce uh, before we started recording, uh, about the dire need of a haircut. Oh, how man, I didn't my hair know is how bad. bad my hair would get. Look like a Wookiee over here. So thank <laughs> goodness we don't do these on a video, so that everybody doesn't see my my terrible hair. Yeah, I'm actually my hair is is rough right now. I need a haircut, so probably worse than I've ever needed one. In all honesty, it's bad. Hopefully, we can get past all this soon. But as Evan said, we've got a pretty pretty awesome guest today. But before we let him introduce himself, we will. Um, Go ahead and welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Worrell. And as always, I'll go through my spiel about subscribing to the YouTube channel, comment on the video, like the video, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, whatever listening platform you prefer. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Aged Out Podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode. And the newest last part of this spiel now is hit us up on patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast if you want to contribute any kind of financial help to Evan and I kind of improving the quality of this podcast and uh, helping it grow. So without further ado, we'll get into today's guest who is the infamous Tom Unkst. So Evan, if you don't have anything, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, it's awesome. Um that you guys invited me and I, um, I figured out the Skype thing, which I'm kind of proud of myself. You know, I'm not <laughs> a technology guru. And so I've asked a bunch of people, I actually called Paul Winterhalter and said, Hey man, how do you do this? And he's like, all right, well just up, you know, he was kind of going through it with me, um, yesterday. Cause I was nervous. You know, I'm, I'm the zoom master right now. Cause I, you know, I have my zoom classes at Dartmouth, you know, high school, elementary, middle, but the Skype thing I've never really done, but, it was actually pretty easy, so I feel pretty good right now. Yeah, man, the Skype thing, Skype was obviously huge for a long time, and I guess still is, but the hot topic right now is the Zoom. All the college courses are on the Zoom, the high school, middle school courses, the companies are having everything over Zoom, so it's definitely in the forefront of uh, social media, I guess, right now. Yeah, and it's, it's actually it's pretty cool because um, it's a way, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not perfect, I mean, it's something, but it's a way, you know, for the teachers to connect with the kids and kind of keep them moving forward. Um, you know, there's downsides, which is not you're not there live and they have to mute their mics and I can play and I can play recordings. And um, but, you know, it's it, it's a way to keep it going. And I'm, I'm learning, too. So there's a lot of stuff I'm doing right now, not just Zoom, but like Google Classroom that I'm going to use when we get out of this quarantine mess you know, I'm going to use next year. So always trying to learn, I guess, uh, especially with the technology stuff. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness we do have the technology. I couldn't imagine 
even 10 years ago, maybe even less, trying to do and communicate with kids and get them information the way that we are now, five to 10 years ago with Google Classroom or Google Forms or Zoom or all this, uh, making the best of a the situation is certainly what everybody's trying to do. But yeah, and you got your hands full, I'm sure, which we'll get into with uh, the amount of people and kids that you uh, try to communicate with. So I guess to start, why don't you kind of give us a little rundown of how did you get back into, or how did you get into marching percussion in the first place? Like what, like yeah. when was it? How was it? How did it happen? And then we'll just go from there. Yeah. Well, I think as a, you know, I, I kind of started, people don't really know this, but I started um, in, in this little drum and baton corps. It's called the Boutiques and uh, kind of a funny name. And the colors were pink, black, and white. Um, and we just oh, yeah. did parades. We used to compete against the Sparkies. <laughs> and uh, I think the, oh, the other was the Matadors. And it was, you know, it was the drum line. We had double tenors. We had a big set of trios that were, you know, like bass drums. And we had steel drums that were on. we put on straps. And we'd play. Some of the stuff I remember was like uh, Cat Chow, you know, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> anyway, I, I know. It's, I did that. I did that as an elementary kid and I did it for five years. And, and this uh, instructor, his name is John Rosam, taught all of us privately. And all those kids played in the high school. And I went to Wilson High School. And, you know, back then, I mean, we had a really, really pretty good drum line. Those same kids, a lot of us went over to the Reading Buccaneers with this guy, John Rosam. So I marched in the Bucks 79 and 80 as a, as a young kid. Um, and then marched Garfield, 81, 82, 83, 84. And, and my whole idea about marching wasn't really to, to march and perform. I think it was to, I wanted to do this. I wanted to write, I wanted to teach. Um, you know, I, I lived in Reading, Pennsylvania. And so we go to Allentown, see, you know, DCI East, or you watch it on PBS. And I just remember going, man, that's what I want to do. So when I marched for the six years, it was picking up information from instructors. Sometimes it was picking up information, kind of going, yeah, I'm not going to do that one. And then eventually I started teaching in 85. And, you know, I kind of went through, I think, the gamut of not a lot of technique early on to when Tom Hannum came in in 83, kind of formalizing the, the technique and approach with the strokes and legato and staccato. And, and there's, there's still some terms I, you know, I still use with my kids. And, um, you know, from there, started to teach in 85, was a snare tech 85, 6, 7, 8. And the legendary 87 cadets, drum corps and drum line, percussion ensemble, perfect score. Yeah, well, <clears throat> funny funny part about that, there was there was a, a thread that went up on Facebook about it was from some Blue Devils, and um, you know how did that happen? You know, like what were people thinking? You know, the Blue Devils were this, Blue Devils were that, and and you know, I, I think I posted something where I said, yeah, they were. Those those kids were way better players than any of the kids we had. They were playing way more stuff. I mean, if you if you if you weighed the amount of stuff they were playing, what we were playing it was like. We were a feather, and they were like, you know, an eighteen wheeler. But it was it was at the time where you know, drum corps was moving forward, and we were, you know, the the drum line was part of this visual 
you know, whatever you want to call it, that Zingali put together. And, you know, the way Tom wrote it was we were we were supporting the music and we were a total ensemble. And, you know, a lot of the other guys like, you know, like the Blue Devils who played and they were just lights out. They were just it wasn't a total ensemble. So I think nowadays, if you if you took 87 cadets and you you matched up over the Blue Devils, it might go a different way. But it was from an effect standpoint, music ensemble and performance. You know, we just we filled the criteria of of what the sheet was back then. And so, um, you know, it was we I don't think people realize this, but we had gotten two other tens before. So we got three tens at final. So we got a perfect 30. But two other shows, we had gotten two tens, um, and you're talking a couple weeks before. So oh, wow. Hannah, and I, Hannah and I were like, "Oh shit, this could really actually happen. <laughs> but we could really max this thing out." So, and you know, like as three judges not near each other on the field, you know, they probably had to go, "All right, if these guys are doing it, we're doing it." You know, like because they're you know, assuming they didn't get on the walkie-talkies and go, "Hey, I'm giving them a 10. So. Yeah, they had their they had their Remember Bluetooth. Remember those things, the walkie talkies. Yeah, I had one as a kid. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, I remember I would always talk to Lee about that because obviously he was there and yeah, he taught me a round. But I was always just busting him. He's he's just always funny about it. He's like, we were the cleanest. It's all mattered. Yeah. I was like, there you go. Yeah, and we were, you know, I was I was pretty psychotic. You know, I I did up until. I got married in 93. I did the whole summer every year. And so I was on a mission in, in, in 87, man. It was like, you know, if, you know, if, if you did something, you know, that you weren't supposed to, whether it was your, I don't know, your tension route wasn't tight enough. I knew about it. You know, if you, if your shoelace wasn't tied the way it was supposed, I knew about it and you were going to fix it, you know? So <laughs> yeah. And there was a funny story. We got to, uh, uh, finals week, you know, Tom came in and out. And so we're up in Minnesota and we're, you know, we're out in the parking lot and we're tracking and I got this, this five stroke roll exercise, you know, that's we're cranking it. And I'm, I'm like, I'm pointing in, you, you can see I'm real intense. And Tom comes over and he puts his, he puts his show, his hand on my shoulder and he says, he says, Unkst, come here. I go, what? We got to clean this. Unkst, come here. So <laughs> he goes, we got some frisbees. We're not practicing. These guys got it. I'm like, what? He's, so what we did? We played frisbee. It was like the day of finals. We got frisbees, and we were out in the football field, like throwing frisbees. I was, I was having a cow, right? <laughs> but you know, his thing is like, we're there, man. This he sees, you know, Hannah's like, man, we're there, we're there, you know. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't know, like. You know, we had two hours, and I think then I thought, like, oh, shit, someone's going to, like, break a leg or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think it was, you know, we're coming out of nowhere. It's, you know, it's either the West Coast. You know, I'm trying to think. It was either the West Coast or Bayonne had won drums, right? And that's pretty much it. So, you know, and here's everything on the line. And um, and I think people don't remember, too, the core in 87. You know, we didn't we didn't really win a lot of shows. Um, I think we were with Vanguard 10 times and the first time we beat Vanguard was prelims. Um, and it was almost like it rained right before we had gone on. It was really hot and humid in Madison and, and, uh, man, the core was on, on fire. And, um, and it was like the first time out of 10 times that we had, 
we had won a show. Now, drum wise, we had won every show. There, there were there were shows where we were winning by like a point. It was like crazy. That's um, awesome. And but here's the thing: it was like I, I look at the recap and like, oh shit, we weren't that good. <laughs> we we just beat <laughs> groups like by a point. But you know, I guess if everyone's buying into it, they're buying into it, right? If they mm-hmm. go, you know, I've been I was I always kind of tell this story. It was 2005, I think Mac was with the uh, the Bluecoats, and I flew into Pittsburgh, and we hadn't finished the show, so we still had a minute of drill to do, but we still had the show, and so we went on, and um, I'm like, oh Jesus, you know, it was a mess when we stood still for the last minute, and the Bluecoats went on, and I went, oh shit, they're gonna kick our ass, like we're in trouble. And I walked, <laughs> walked, walked out of the drum guys, and I go. Yeah, well, it's okay. It's first show. And I think we beat them by two and a half points. <laughs> because wow, that was people, a... people were just buying into what we were doing. And plus, we had, you know, who's going to have the cadets down at that time, you know, to the blue coats? I mean, the blue coats were kind of on their way up, and we were there. And, you know. Yeah, so. I think that was actually the first year in 05 that blue coats had beat cadets at any point in the show in drums. Like, that was like yeah. the first like milestone for them. And I did look up 1972, the Kingsman won drums. And every year after that, up until 87, it was either Vanguard, BD, or Bridgman. So it was either yeah, West Coast or Bridgman. That's pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, yeah, so 80, but but it's funny, 80, you know, 80, a lot of people don't talk about the 87 line, but it was, we were such an integral part of the music and, and the fabric of the, the core, you know, visually and musically. Um, that it wasn't you know we weren't just this drum line that just was there you know and hannah and i used to go into critiques and our whole thing was you know parts ain't parts which was basically you know we're right you know at that time we're talking about like hey we're writing music and these other guys are writing drum parts kind of thing so um yeah you got a vibe for your team yeah well we all we had and we'd go in there we'd pass out a list of stuff they should check out we were organized not so much these days, but we had, <laughs> we had a whole list of stuff, man. <laughs> so were, you were teaching, I guess, uh, teaching the snares or like a caption head through 85 through 88. And then it was 89 that you assumed like the arranging and like, I guess, caption. I don't know what you would call it. Supervisor. Yeah, head caption or, head. Or title. yeah, caption head. And um, so 85, 6, 7 and 8, I was the. I was basically the the head tech, base, you know, snare tech. And then 89, you know, after 88, everyone left. So Zingali left again because he left one time before that. So he left again. Hannum left. Um, Michael Klesch left. I mean, everyone left except except me and the, and, and the percussion guys. And then, you know, Mark Sylvester was there. So Mark Sylvester wrote the drill. Uh, we had Robert Smith. Um, write the brass uh, book, and then Michael Klesch kind of came back in the summer. And um, you know, I mean, you know, people say like, you know, what's your what's your favorite, you know, drum line at Cadets? And I, I and I kind of say I don't really have a favorite. I think I have a, the special one is eighty eighty nine because it was my first year, and um, I mean, I didn't have a lot of background in writing. I wrote for Westchester for you know when I was doing the marching band. I wrote some high schools. And but now it's like, all right, here's your baby. And um, so, you know, I was kind of I was kind of 
right. And I, I teach with a chip on my shoulder, I guess. Like, I got to prove myself all the time. And, you know, and it doesn't matter. I was, I was sitting here writing some stuff for the cadets. And um, I, it's almost like I'm a tortured artist. I go through this thing like, oh, I can't do this. How did I write that last year? Oh, my God. And I'll see a video. I'm like, oh, that's great. How did I do that? <laughs> it's like, I, I don't even know how I do what I do sometimes. And But it, it, I remember when I started writing in 89, you know, like writing the drum thing was it was probably 20, 30 versions before I got it out to the kids. And I'm very meticulous. So when I get it out, I'm 100 percent sold on what I have. I'm not, you know. A lot of indoor guys, especially independent guys, will, you know, they'll walk over and say, hey, try this or do this or, nah, that sucks, do this or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, when I pass it out, you know, I've, I've jumped through hoops and, and beat myself up over and over over the part. So, you know, 89, like when I got it out, that was pretty much, you know, what we played. And I wanted to kind of write like Tom, which was to support the music, but I always kind of felt we could play more. So I wanted to write like Tom but I wanted to play more like the blue devils. And so it was trying to play more and fit into the fabric of the music. Like, you know, I was taught through Tom. And I think that was one of the, you know, I guess one of the best lines that the cadets has, has kind of produced because there was such a shift from 88 to 89. And, um, you know, I think, you know, after that, you look at some of the lines, like you could, you know, like 94 look like maybe 95 a little bit or, you know, like 98, like 99. And, but that was just such a shift, like how we played the stuff we played and the velocity and all that kind of stuff. And here's a funny story. I don't know if Hannah will remember this, but so I had him come to a camp cause I wanted to give him a, you know, a little plaque saying, Hey, thanks for, for, you know, whatever with the core. And so we're playing, we're playing some opener and we're playing these fast, paradiddle diddle diddle double para whatever patterns and it's like 48 counts but the tempo is you know it's like clipping i don't remember if it was like 172 and we're playing it and he goes i go hey man what you know i was excited like if he would say something like man tom that's great he goes hey man they're never going to be able to play that (laughs) (laughs) and And i went and, but he said it. He said it loud enough, and I think Lee Bettis, because he was in the line, he remembers this because we talk about it. And the snares went. They looked at me, and I'm going, you know what? We're gonna, you know what? We're and I won't. I won't I'm not gonna swear on here, but we. I said no. We're gonna, and we never changed that part. <laughs> and we nailed it. And you know how the season goes. You get the tempo got faster, man. And always, you know, uh huh. Yeah. It's so like. We, Two thirds of the way, like, all right, we got to juice this a little bit. It was like yeah. one of those one of those challenge accepted moments. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was cool, you know. Um, and uh, you know, I that's I think that's that's the other thing too is I always wanted to try to do stuff which people thought we couldn't do. And so I think riding on the edge was always like a cadet thing for me. Was you know, here's 170, and that's the route you should play at 170. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to play that rudiment at 180, and we're <laughs> going to we're going to chop it out, and we're going to we're going to make it happen. And when it happens, it's like the wow factor, you know. So, for sure. I mean, I, yeah. I think that that's one of the things that always attracted me to the cadets so much. I mean, you took Mike the words right out of my mouth, pretty, <laughs> Mike and I have a pretty, I don't know, close to heart connection with just our private instructors growing up. 
that I guess influenced us towards that. Um, Mike was taught privately by a guy that marched under you, Damon Smith. And then oh, yeah. I was taught privately by a guy named Justin Fisher, who Justin and Damon and a handful of other people all played together at Moorhead State, where Mike and I went, uh, which is where Eric Ward and all those dudes were at the time. Yeah. And so it was like this musical family tree of like the cadets and Tom Hannum and Tom Onks and Eric Ward. And then like, it just trickles down. And so that was one of the things that always attracted me so much when I first discovered like marching percussion on the Vic Firth video lot that took like five hours to load a three minute (laughs) clip on your dial up internet is those like early two thousands. Oh one Oh two Oh three videos that were on there and just the aggressiveness and the writing i was like this is so aggressive and it's just like so like so it like makes you like want to punch somebody in the face yeah. uh, it, it, but it that velocity get... and, and stuff you're talking about is just like so like eye-catching to me i was like how can they do this yeah yeah i mean yeah. i that i want i was a cadet like wannabe my entire high school career like i was gonna come march for the cadets like and then right when i got to um the audition for the first summer where I probably had a shot of making it anywhere, anywhere like after the freshman year of my, of, of college and you yeah. switched to blue stars. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess he saved me money on plane tickets because Indianapolis is two hours from me versus Pennsylvania. So there you go. I didn't get to there be a cadet, go. but I did get to march for you. So it kind of worked out in my favor in terms of marching for who I wanted to at least. Uh, That's cool. But yeah. I was, was almost a cadet. <laughs> We can maybe cut this one out in a minute. But <laughs> no, I think it's a funny story. Uh, technically, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. I technically, technically was a cadet for a month. In 08. Oh, what happened? For, for the 08 season. Uh, this, was, uh, this was for the summer of 08. I went and tried out. And I had a really, really strong audition in November and a really strong audition in December. And I got a contract in December. You were still there. It was kind of double duty between you and Colin. And uh, I went back, or maybe it was January. Either way, I got I either got my contract in January, or no, it was definitely, definitely December, because I know this timeline. It was December, and then I went back for the January camp, turned my contract in, turned my first payment in, and you were not there that camp, but Colin was there, and Colin cut me and put another kid in from UMass. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I guess I, I feel a little better for myself then. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, oh, sorry to hear that, man. <laughs> it, it, I mean, everything works out for a reason. I, I was like obviously super salty about it for like as a yeah. 18, 19 year old kid, whatever I was. But I was like, nah. <laughs> but then, uh, but then you ended up leaving, so I was like, well, I don't want to go back to cadets, so, so I went to Crown. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was an interesting, I guess, fit with Colin and I, and you know, I knew Colin for years just because of tom hannum and colin connected with tom and then obviously you know my connection with tom and so i think over the course of you know when i got married in 93 um and then having my first son in 95 it was i had great techs you know i had willie higgins i had eric ward who i learned so much from you know the five years and that's another story i wanted to tell about eric but i learned a, a lot from eric and but it was trying to find someone that could like when I wasn't there, I run the whole ensemble. It wasn't just having a snare tech. It was like someone that could get up and run the full core or percussion ensemble and, you know, had the experience. And so when, when I wasn't there, um, you know, there was a sense of frustration sometimes. So 
you know, kind of bringing Colin in after 06, um, you know, and, you know, when you're at the cadets and you're, you're on step, you know, not now, but back then, you know, especially with George, it was, uh, you know, I mean, he was, he, he was tough, man. And, and, you know, he always felt like in order for stuff to get done, things had to be chaotic. So there was, there was fights, you know, there was almost like fist fights, but there was a lot of yelling and a lot of, and, you know, and after a while I was there for 27 years, you kind of get worn out. So anyway, having Colin on in 07 and 08, it was a way to give me, you know, a little bit of a, a breather, I guess. And, you know, kind of felt stagnant a little bit after 06. You know, I just kind of felt worn out. And having Colin in, you know, kind of helped me through some stuff like technically and writing. And I think that's one of my strengths is I and that's why I still feel like I can do this as long as I want. I hope I, I want to learn. I want to continue to learn. And I'm not afraid if someone comes in and says, hey, Tom, have you checked this out? You know, let's try it. Um, hey, Tom, have you? let's try that. I don't care. Because for me, it's all about how do I make the group great? the group great and make sure the kids have a great experience. And so, you know, not that I'm jumping to the blue stars, but in 2010, you know, I had Joel Hilbert and Brian Hanley and some of these guys. And what I was trying to do with those guys is I was let, trying to let them have the baby a little bit instead of me, you know, changing the diaper and okay, do this and do that. I wanted them to kind of take over and, um, you know, let, let them kind of, fuel their way through the the blue stars anyway so having colin there was that that was some of it was seeing if i could manage my life better with my family and you know still do the core and everything so i mean i learned a ton from him like i said and i think that's one of my strengths is just you know i'm willing to learn you know and it, it i don't care if it's like a 20 22 or 22 year old kid says hey tom i think all right now you got to prove it to me. You got to prove it. You can't, just, you can't tell me, you know, I have, I've had a lot of those young dudes. Hey Tom, you know, I think this, we need to do this. All right. Show me. And if it's better, I'm all for it. If it's not better. Okay. You know, then we, we have to kind of go in another direction. And sometimes the ones that keep telling me too much sometimes don't end up staying too long either. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's good for them though, too. It's like almost like a, a teaching mentor, which I'm sure happened yeah. to you along the way. Just like we were talking about that story with Tom Hannum um, is like, you give them a little bit of rope and then it's like a trial and error. It's like, all right, you see not everything works out in reality, how it does in your head. Um, right. But I think that that's awesome. I mean, obviously I've heard, um, Mike here with us, and then also a good friend of ours that you know well, Travis Peterman, talk about oh, yeah. his time with you guys at the Blue Stars and Joel, and just how influential some of those people were with just what they were able to do. And then obviously Travis and his the influence that you've had on him, and now he's a caption head at Crown and helping do some arranging and stuff there. So just like the little bit of, I guess, fingerprint you've left on a lot of those dudes that are now kind of the next generation or yeah. era of teaching and, and wave of the activity. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the other thing, maybe one of my downfalls, Neil Larvey and I talk about this a lot is I'm very loyal. And, you know, so if you look at my resume, it's, it's basically been cadets or Dartmouth. And so, you know, when stuff gets tough, I'll be there, you know, and I'm, I'll be there all the way to the end. And so sometimes I feel like people I bring on, um, I expect the same thing from them. 
So loyalty is a big thing. And I, I bring you into a system that is basically, you know, for the kids. Um, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. I'm just saying this is a system and I need you to buy into it and bring something new to it. Bring your personality. But, you know, if you behind my back do some stuff, it's going to get ugly. That that's I'm not proud to say that, I guess. But there's been some times over there, you know, I've been 40 years. You know, I, I let people kind of do their thing and, um, you know, I support them. And somewhere behind the scenes, there's a little bit of, you know, discussion and they, you know, it, they're, they're, they get too big for their britches kind of thing, you know, and yeah. they hang them <laughs> in some, some respects. And, you know, it, next thing you know, it's like, well, you're out, you know, or they're moving on to something else. And um, so, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not proud of that. I, I try not to hang on to some of those things, but I do have some of those stories over four, you know, four I mean, over the it, whatever four decades of teaching, there's you're gonna run into I'm sure some yeah. of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, you know, it's all good. I I think the older the older I get, I just kind of go, eh, you know, it's not worth it anymore. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let that, you know, kind of decide how my day is gonna go or what I'm gonna do next or you know, and a, a lot of times it's you know if, if it's a younger tech, it's they're trying to feel their way. They're trying to figure it out just like I did. So, yeah, I guess when figure it's all it said out. and done, it's, it's all cool. Figure it out and prove themselves at the same time. It, it, yeah. I get it. Well, I think yeah. I'll, I'll jump in here real quick. I think it's really cool because you can – the philosophy that you just put forward right there about how if something works, you're going to stick with it. But you're also very open to new ideas being presented to you if the person – who brings it up can show you it's better for whatever reason that you'll adapt it and say, all right, cool. That's a better way of doing that. I've always thought your writing is very cool in that sense because you have a certain kind of style and I think you have things, you know, that work and you kind of that those motifs or those concepts kind of come out in your writing a lot, but you've also been able to, if you go back and watch your lines throughout the years, you can see, certain things stay the same throughout and you can see the little twists and turns as you slowly adapt, as people show you new things and you learn new things from other groups. And it's really cool because that level of consistency plus the level of adaptation that I've always appreciated and thought was really, really cool. So it's really interesting to hear you say that's kind of how you approach teaching and learning and everything. It definitely comes out in your work. Well, you know, the other thing too is I had a practice. You know, I, I well, that's that's another positive with this with this quarantine. I'm practicing about two hours a day, um, you know, because in my head, I'm like, well, if I'm going to bring something fresh, I got it's got to fit in my hands. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it was maybe about three weeks ago, just through the, through the cadets and I was talking and I played I played one of the licks from the show this year. And um, and then I got something back on face a couple guys on Facebook. Hey man, I, I didn't realize that you play the music that you write, and I and and <laughs> I, thought, I thought in my head I'm like, oh I don't know. Well, who do, who doesn't who doesn't play the stuff that they write? But maybe it's see. I always thought like if I'm going to teach the kids how to do it, then I have to be able to play it. Now, you know, I'll I'll, I'll tell you I'm not a tenor player. I'm not saying I'm going to pick up a set of tenors and play the kind of stuff tenors play, but. You know, I'm going to be able to teach the technique and what I'm looking for and the style and the approach. Um, you know, I'm not just taking a pencil to, to, you know, to the paper here and just going, yeah, here it is. Um, I, you know, I, and in order for my, to me, in order for me to clean myself or clean the, 
the the line, I have to know what that is, and it has to come through me playing it. So, you know, this quarantine has helped me try to practice. You know, almost two hours a day in the morning, I'll get up, I'll exercise, I'll do a couple hours, and then I have my Zoom thing, and um, you know, even when I'm writing for the cadets, man, it, sometimes I'll I'll get, I'll get the music from Jay, like I wrote the opener, and I probably spent a week just practicing. Because the thing, a lot of it's in 5-4, so I'm like, okay, what feels good in 5-4? Okay, cool, what? Okay. You know, I go on to the next thing, okay, the tempo. You know, tempos say a lot. So, you know, you, you give me something at 192, I kind of know what to play. If you play it like a marching band tempo, which is like 170, 182, you know, it's like, okay, what feels good in there? What has that drive? What has the energy? You know, it takes a while to kind of get that in your brain and your in your hands. So, you know. I think the practicing too. And, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Jeff queen or anything like that, but (laughs) you know, I try to keep myself up so I can kind of be fresh with the music. And that was my thing. I said, I want to be in the game. I want to, I want to continue to teach and I want to be in the game. I don't, you know, I, I hopefully, you know, I don't have any physical issues, you know, ears and hands and anything like that. That'll, that'll stop me. But I still, I still love doing it. You know, I still have a passion about doing it. That's a good segue into this question. I wanted to make sure I asked you on this. When did you know this is what you wanted to do? Like, was it very young? Were you kind of doing it in your early 20s till you figured something out and just then realized it? Like, when did you figure it out? Well, I, I kind of grew up, I wasn't very good in school until I got into the band. And then I thought, you know, that's when I started feeling like I had, had some self-worth. I could do it. Um, you know, when I started marching in this little baton corps, talking about the boutiques, I was like, this is cool. I think I can do this, um, you know, drum corps, but I, I don't I never had a lot of confidence in myself. I always, you know, I always kind of, I was always tough on myself and, um, you know how we are. It's like when you're, you know, I know as a teacher, I'm not as tough as the kids that I teach in their own minds. You know, they, what they think they're doing, they probably are. I'm, I'm telling them they're, they're doing a good job and they're going, that sucked. You know, they're just, they're harder on themselves than we can be. And I was, I was a lot like that. So, you know, through, I guess, watching drum corps and PBS and going to Allentown and being around, you know, the high school, I dreamed about doing it, like teaching it and writing it. And like I said, I march in drum corps not to perform, but to do this. This is what I wanted to do. And here's, here's the other part. Like I, I went, to school at a time where like at Westchester, you know, guys knew I was doing drum corps, like professors. And they're like, you know, my percussion professor. And he was awesome. He's like, Tom, when are you, you're, you're going to have to grow up and get a real job. This isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he used to say to me. And so, you know, when someone, here's the thing with me, you know, and I think it's the Capricorn in me. If someone says you can't do that, oh, that's then I'm going to do it. You just watch. Yeah. You watch and I'm going to do, do it. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't the only the only person. I mean, there were so many different people that peers went to school there and, you know, they kind of make, you know, I was like, wow, the drum corps thing is great. But, you know, how you can make a living? And I'm like, I don't know. But this is this comes from my mom who used to say, just go after your passion. Whatever your passion is, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out how to make money. You know, if your passion is to make a million dollars, then then that's then do that. And so I said, okay. So, you know, now I look back and I have, I don't have any regrets. I just kind of did what I loved. And, you know, I always, as a young kid, just, I, that's what I wanted to do. I just never had enough confidence, I guess, until I got older. Like to be a band director, when I was in high school, 
if you said, you know, what do you want to do? I'm like, want to go to music school. Oh, you want to be a band director? Uh, no, I want to have my summers off to do drum corps. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be a band director. These guys are, these guys are like real, like I watched my band director. He knew every instrument, you know, at that time he wrote the drill, he wrote the music. Um, it was just like, this guy was a genius. And I'm like, I can't do that. But, you know, here I am at Dartmouth 28 years later, right? As, as a band director, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I think that's also cool. Like you mentioned, you, you're still just getting out of your grind and you're drumming, you're practicing. I think that that is also really the only way that someone in your position or really anyone writing in the activity can stay current. Cause I mean, obviously the activity does evolve and adapt and change over time. The book that you first wrote in 89, I'm sure is, has snippets and hints of stuff still today. But if you compared it to what you wrote for the cadets for the summer of 2020, there's yeah. obviously an evolution of like, not only the instrumentation, but just cap- capabilities. Mike and I have talked on this podcast before of like, what bass lines are able to do today and like the kids that are playing bass and the kids that are playing tenors and just right. with the ability of kids that today to soak up content on the internet and what they're exposed to earlier and earlier lends itself to more opportunity i'm sure on your end from a compositional standpoint and what you're able to ask them to do so i'm sure oh, yeah. that's really helped too just i gotta practice and figure out what what are these hybrid rudiments what, what's what's everybody playing today right i think well the thing i got to be careful of is you know, um, and, you know, I, I, I have I have I have a tough time talking about myself because, again, I don't like growing up as a, as a young kid. I didn't really have a lot of confidence. So I don't like to kind of toot my own horn, I guess, per se. But um, I got to be careful because what I think isn't hard when you put it all together becomes like everyone's like, oh, shit. Like there was some stuff I wrote last year and I went, oh, you know, and I, I, I play it. I'm doing it, you know. And then, you know, we did it, and Lee Bettis was at the uh, at the camp because he's consulting. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and, and I go, "Shit, I didn't think it was going to be that like that intense, that that challenging." And he goes, "Man, there's a lot of stuff there." And and my first thing was like, "Oh, that's cool. I love that. I love when there's stuff there, right?" <laughs> and, then, and then I thought to myself, "It's like it's almost like I tricked myself. I thought there wasn't going to be enough." And it ended up being maybe too much, but with these players, it's going to work out kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? So I got to watch that like that with my high school. So sometimes it's, I got to just, I just got to be careful that I, you know, I don't order too much on the, you know, well, this pizza looks good and that hamburger looks good and that, you know, and the next thing you know, you're like walking out of there in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so I have to be careful that it's, you know, I'm not I'm not letting the kids digest too much and um, the pacing, I guess, pacing the performer or pacing of the total ensemble. Like when, you know, like if you if if you march 200 beats for 11 and a half minutes, you know, three minutes in, it doesn't seem fast anymore. You know, yeah. So it's all about pacing and who's playing and maybe I got to have more space in here. So that's something that I had to learn because. You know, I think just my personality is just to, I think you just said it like, you know, punch someone in the face. I mean, I have that, I have that personality. Like when I write, it's like, I want to, if I'm writing a feature, it's like, I'm going to bring it and I'm going to shove it. You know what? It's, it, <laughs> it's got to be like that. Right. 
And so I just have to be careful. It's not like that all the time. So there's a variety and there's a pacing. I think I've gotten better, you know, with that, but I, that's something that, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of work with a little bit in my brain, you know, and it, man, it's so funny. It's like, I'll be at a camp, like even last year, we'll play some stuff and I want to see the reaction of the kids. And so if the kids are like, you know, like last year we did some stuff and they're like, Oh, Tom, this is like, you know what? I didn't care if we placed in drum corps. I didn't care if we won a show. I didn't care anything. These kids loved it. So I went, that's awesome. So how the kids react is, you know, that's a big thing for me because I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's an educational activity and, and I want them to love, if they love to play it, they're going to want to go after it every day. Um, oh yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's, 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 it's a balance of being musical. It's a balance of fitting into the musical fabric. It's a balance of, all right, here we go. You know, it's, it's, you know, people go, all right, sounds like Tom Onks. Oh, sounds like cadets. And then, you know, <laughs> how can it be a little bit different and, and do what I, you know, do what I do. But, you know, it's interesting. Like I, again, this whole confidence thing with me is sometimes it's hard for me to watch after the season's over my own stuff or watch other groups because if I watch another group, I go, man, that's good. Oh, Christ, that's good. And I, it's almost like, no, I can't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't care who it is. It could be, you know, it could be the 20th place core. I'm like, holy crap, these guys are good. So, but I gotta, I feel like I have to do it because it's a way for me to grow and learn, I guess. I don't know. It's a double edged shorter with me. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm six four. I'm pretty aggressive, but yet I'm like this. <laughs> I know this little kitty cat that just wants to go hide. Sometimes to go, I can't do this, man. <laughs> I guess uh, before we maybe switch gears into some Dartmouth stuff too. Yeah, I'll I'll ask. Are there some years? Maybe not. Obviously, you said you don't have favorite years, but just years along the lines that stick out. Uh, Paul on our last episode said on like the end of like some quizzes you guys would pass out, you would put like a bonus question. Like, all right, what are the, what are all the years cadets want drum? <laughs> yeah. Um, and stuff like that. But are there like years, not, not even like maybe drum trophy years, but just years throughout your career that stick out. Like I really enjoyed this, not even yep. maybe just because of the execution, but just because of like the membership and the way that we overcame some obstacle in the summer or anything like that. Yeah, I think, I think one of the groups that comes to mind was 03. Um, I mean, uh, you know, again, I don't like to talk about myself, but I love what I did with that show. I just me too. Was, Same. <laughs> so, Ditto. So, so, so cool. Some some cool stuff that I watch now, and I'll be, you know, we'll get to the end of Malagania. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like <laughs> damn, that was good. Dude, um, that cowbell backbeat is just one of the. Yeah fattest funnest things to listen to in the middle of that drum feature you just get done and ripping all that hocket shots and then hit into that six eight like feel on the cowbells it's like mm, this is lovely <laughs> <laughs> well here's here's another funny story so we um you know, george and i used to fight a lot not physically but verbally back and forth and so we were out on tour and there was something in malaganya that i didn't agree with and he didn't agree with back and forth and so he basically pissed me off so there's the one section where it's like, I don't remember how it even starts, but it was kind of thing. And it was like, it was like violent, right? And 
And but I remember after him and I fought, I had to write this thing, and I I got a piece of paper and man the pencil was like dark, and I wrote it like I was pissed. <laughs> so every time we get to that section, I'm like, man, that's some of the best some of the best stuff I've written is when I'm like angry. Let, let's like, it's like it's like I'm on a mission. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you that I could, you know, that I can, you know, like I said earlier, I kind of I kind of write with a chip. Like I'm gonna show you that I can do that. And that's one of my favorite, I think it's like maybe 24 counts, man. But it's, it's just like, it's just coming at you. It's, uh, you know, it's getting all the guns out. It's like, and just going crazy <laughs> on the drum, man. It's, uh, but I think, you know, the other thing with 83 was we had, we had originally started with 11 snares. Um, and then we had a, yeah, we had a bunch of injuries. Wait, what year was this? 83. This was, I'm sorry. Oh, three, or, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, three. Sorry. Yeah. So we had a bunch of injuries um, and we had to let two of the guys go because of the injuries. We ended up with nine. But I, I think I think it was the first Allentown show was in June. I wasn't there, but we were placement of drum drum lines. We were out of six cores. We were sixth. And I think the glassmen were like first or something. And the, the judge, his last name was Smith. I wasn't there, but basically told, I think it was Eric, this is the worst cadet drumline, you know, I've ever <laughs> seen. Right? And so, but throughout the season, we never really even had nine until we really kind of got to the end of the season. And I don't, I don't think we run a, a show in drums. And so we, we uh, were, I flew into Westchester. And Mark Thurston tells the story. Mark was judging, and it was like his first year judging. And so, um, you know, we're out there. I'm out there working the line, and then I watch Vanguard, and then I watch us. And I'm like, oh man, we're we're like, you know, we had everyone in there, and I'm like, oh man, we should we should beat these guys, right? So Mark has them up by five tenths, and I go in. I'm like, dude, really? Come on, man. You know. So I go through the whole triad. You know, environmental, <laughs> physical, musical. You know, you know, and I'm a big guy, so I'm kind of in his face pointing. So the next day is Allentown, and so we're still at Westchester, and I brought the drum line in in the pits there, and I said, listen, this is it. This is our last show. What are we going to do? What are we going to do today? we got a full core. we got a full drum line. I got, this is a veteran drum line. I mean, all those guys were guys you know, pretty much from the year before. And it's like Vale and Schlicker and all them. And like, oh yeah, there's McKenna. And... I mean, it was a, it was a veteran drum line. And I said, we're all here. This next, this, these next three hours that we have have to be kick ass. And this ensemble, I'm like, yeah. So I, I beat the crap out of them. And, um, <laughs> we went into, we went to Allentown and Jeff Prostery was judging and we went on. And then I think Vanguard went on last and I, you know, I looked at Neil and go, we're going to beat these guys. He's like, what? I go, yeah, come on, man. That was like, that was a great show. So we go in and so Prosperi has us up by five tenths. So we were down the night before and we were up by five tenths. And then that was it. We went into, you know, it was the average. So I think the first night, I think it was six tenths we were up and then it was even more. And then all we had to do is basically show up for Saturday night. I don't know if you guys remember this, but oh, three. There was that hurricane that came in, so no one practiced the day of finals. Well, that was down in Florida, right? In Florida? Yeah, it was Orlando. So there was a hurricane, and we thought finals was going to be canceled. I remember. Um, didn't it go, like, super late into the night? 
Yeah, so they moved it back, and and eventually we're watching like the radar, and it went around, and so they had, but you know, I think they they postponed it. But here's the thing: we no one practiced. Crazy. Um, so we went in, and I went up. I still remember this. I was standing upstairs, and we started. The drumline started, and I went, "We're locked." I mean, these guys were so good, and so talented. It was like, yeah. Now I thought the core was good. I thought we were good. You know, we weren't great. We didn't have a chance to practice. But the drum line, the front ensemble, man, we were like, I was like upstairs screaming. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, that that that's one of those years that nothing goes your way, but you just kind of have to, you know, bide your time, I guess, and get through the the injuries. And I, I just, I loved what I did. I loved what the kids did. And it was, you know, it was kind of a, you know, typical, I guess, cadet line, like, you know, we're going to get, we're going to, you know, we, we may not be good in the beginning, but you know, be careful at the end because we're going to be really good. I love the way you want it. That's it. That's it. To the grindstone. (laughs) Love it. I know a lot of people, uh, well, a few people from that line too, just personally that I love talking about. Obviously Zach taught me both summers. Yeah. Zach. And then Mike McKenna, tenor line, Jared, Jared Andrews is in the line that year, I think too. Yeah, he was, he was, I'm going to say he was, Oh, Oh, uh, yeah, two, three, oh, four. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was awesome. And so here's a, here's another funny story. So my son, my oldest son goes out to RCC and he's, you know, I didn't know Jared was teaching. I knew he was teaching out there. I didn't know he was teaching RCC. So, you know, <clears throat> he's in the marching band and he, you know, I said, Hey Alan, how's it going? He goes, yeah, it's going good. I said, so what, you know, who's, who's instructing? He goes, this guy, uh, Jared. It's like, Oh, that's cool. He, he says, but that's the weirdest thing. He says stuff like you did. Like it's like his <laughs> like a terminology. He goes, I was expecting, you know, he goes, I got these some of these other West Coast guys, but he says stuff and I go, that sounds like my dad. <laughs> so I thought that was, you know, it was kind of cool. And then I actually called Jared and I said, Hey man, can you watch out for my son? You know, he's I mean, we're in, you know, and we're in Massachusetts and he's in California. So and so he was kind of my, you know, Alan's mentor. For the, you know, he's still out there now, but, um, you know, for the four years at RCC and then three years at Blue Devil. So, yeah, that's pretty wild. Small world. It's a small yeah. world. Yeah. Like I said, uh, it's kind of like a Tom Angst family tree. All those dudes. Jared went to Moorhead. Eric, Damon, Seth, Jared, Kyle, Andrew, Kane of late. It's kind of like a Moorhead connect, uh, cadets yeah. connection. Which is pretty cool. Well, you know, like Eric Ward was, um, I mean, I, you know, Eric was, he was such a mild kind of guy. Drum Yoda. Um, he really was, man. And so I don't know if you know the story with Eric, but because he had some anger issues when he was younger. And so he had to go through some, some training, you know, as a young kid. And so he, he learned how to manage it. And, um, but his patience with the kids and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm high energy and, I just learned a lot about playing and like his approach to what we were doing. I mean, if you look at the nineties line compared to the early two thousands and that was, that was kind of primarily Eric. Now we approach some stuff. Um, and I'm not saying like nineties was bad or anything like that, but it was, you know, he just had a different, you know, mindset towards it. And, and so it helped me, you know, I went, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And here's a guy that marched two years in the nineties, you know what I'm saying? But 
kind of did here. You know, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like bringing this guy, bringing someone in, fitting into the system, but bringing his personality into the system and somehow upgrading it. And that was that's really what Eric did for all of us. You know, he was a great guy. I feel like I heard some story, and this may or may not be true about Eric, that he had like originally got cut from the cadets, but like just kept showing up or something. That's that's definitely possible. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a bunch of stories like that. Um, we used to call him Willie Higgins. Used to call him Hippity Hoppity because he had he got hurt in his and his I, I want to say his his heel or his Achilles. It had to be wrapped, so he couldn't he couldn't really ever put his heels down. Now, you know, you're up on your platforms for the most part, but so he'd have every once in a while, he'd have like he's bouncing like a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so really called him hippity hoppity. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, he marched two years. He was awesome. I don't think he was able to march his age out. I don't know if that was financial or was school or something. But then, you know, I brought him back on. He was my tech for five years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome guy. That's that's so funny that you said that there might have been a story where he got cut, but just kept showing up and then kept getting better. And they gave him a spot because Demond, who was one of his best friends at Moorhead State, who taught me, who marched in '94. But you remember he blew his ear out like in like July. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. he couldn't finish the summer, unfortunately. But he said all the time when I when I started auditioning. When I, I got cut in 09 from Bluecoats, which I had no business going to, and Glassman, I was like one of the last two guys they cut. He just told me, Demond straight up was like, dude, just go back. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Just show up. I was like, it's not really 93 anymore. Like, I don't know <laughs> if that's a thing in this day and age where I can just show up and eventually they'll just give me a contract for perseverance. <laughs> Well, going back, just a quick story about the 03 line. We had, um, um, I think it might have been 03, 02 or 03. We had a we had a kid that marched Vanguard and a kid that marched Blue Devils. And, you know, it was one of those kind of years, one of those two years, I'm thinking. It's probably 02. Can't think of their, their names right now. And um, But anyway, there was this kid that came out, California. And, um, you know, you, my system is one, two, or three, which, you know, a lot of drum corps use. And so, I mean, this kid by far was the best thing I've ever seen come to a cadet rehearsal. And his first name was Craig. I remember his name. And I'm like, dude, it's like, my God, you know, it was like, holy. Um, and so I said, yeah, you're, I'm going to tell you right now, you're one plus, plus, plus like three pluses. I said, how are you financially? Yep. Good. Okay. I said, Oh, great. Well, here's the thing. I said, you know, I don't give contracts in the first camp, but if you come back, and you keep moving forward and, you know, we weren't doing videos back then, but I, you're, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to. Okay. So he comes back and, um, he went from a one to like a three. Wow. You know, he's got, he's got his music opened up. He's kind of sight reading the music that he had from the last camp. And then it was like, so what's going on? And he's like, well, you know, I had a job. I had this, like, you know, I was like, I don't, I said, Hey, listen, I said, I get it, but that's why we don't, you know, contract guys on the first, you know, the first audition. I want to see what you're made of. Like, are you really serious about doing this? Do you have, do you have the heart? Do you have the commitment? You know, do you have the right attitude of the work ethic about doing this? And he ended, he ended up getting cut. Um, and, I, and I, you know, probably one of the top two or three dudes that I have ever seen play, you know, if I had to give him a score, it was a hundred. I mean, he, wow. his quality and his speed and his touch and, 
but he just it was almost like he was just that good and that's as far as you got like to really kind of commit to a team that's what i tell the guys it's like you know you you may be the best player in the world but you got to fit into the team like what what are you going to bring to the team how are you going to inspire the team you know and it it, that's a much that's a much bigger part of it than i think people realize when auditioning is meshing with the people that are already there you can i've known people that i've known through my marching career that were very good drummers that just kind of never meshed with the groups they wanted to go to and they didn't like take the hint that this is just not the environment that your personality fits into from an instructional staff standpoint and they just kept getting cut and it's like dude if you would just accept like this is just not the group for you you don't mesh with the vets you don't mesh with the staff members like that's a big part of it. Yeah, that's that's you know I think nowadays it's always been a big part for me. But you know there's there's a lot of great players and and there's kids the level of all the kids that come in it's 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 so high compared to ten years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's like okay, well, what else do we need? Well, I need that. I mean, they're going to be living with each other for ten weeks. I can't have one kid in the snare line it just is is not buying into what everyone else is doing so you know at the camp you try to find out things you try to find out through videos you know videos are due at at midnight on wednesday huh that's funny why is lewis's video not in Hmm. all right let's see what happens and then all of a sudden you have to go after lewis and i'm just making this up his name but (laughs) i don't even think it's a kid Hypothetical. But, you know, then, I was going to say, there's this... some kid for the 2020 season is like, oh, he's not talking about me, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. But... Yeah, but you don't, you know, so every, you know, then it might be a week later, and all of a sudden I'll, I'll post something like, hey, man, Lewis, uh, have you been able to get that video up? And there's no response. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll get that up. So in my head, you're sending me a message, and now I'm going, my first thought is like, uh-oh. Like what, what's going on here? And those uh-ohs, when I when I when, when that happens, it, I'm usually right. That's the other thing too. My intuition with things that go on, you know, teaching kids or the activity, there's just certain messages. I, I tell my kids at school, you're always sending me mess messages. So when you go to the bathroom, and you know, my kids that go to the bathroom, I don't give them a pass. I trust them. But you go to the bathroom, and I look at my watch, and you come back 20 minutes later. Okay, 20 minutes, I mean, what's going on, you know, for 20 minutes? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, there's always there's always messages that, and I tell the cadet kids, too, like, you're sending us all messages. You don't post at midnight, there is a message you're sending us, and it's not words, you know? So it's, I think, I think nowadays it's just trying to figure out, like last year's drumline, man, those kids were like one. They really were. They meshed the whole, all the way through. 2018, they struggled a little bit. Um, 2017 was really tight, um, you know. And but it's you, sometimes you don't even know. Sometimes you got it like you have it all figured out, and then all of a sudden, middle of July, it's like you got two kids that blew up or something. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> I mean, that stuff matters. I mean, yeah. I remember going through the audition process as a rookie and as a vet, where vets would tell us like, because the the staff would come to them like, all right, so after rehearsal, like who's like padding up with you guys or who's eating meals with you guys or like who, who's kind of vibing. These are the dudes that we're looking at as far as we think could hang from a skill set level. 
and a chops level and all this like what are they cool to hang out with like the social issues are huge because i mean you're going to spend 82 to 85 straight days with these people and basically you're just you're going to go to war on a football field yeah. so i mean it, it matters it's it 100 percent does it's what happened with me both summers i marched and blue stars the vets kind of i kind of I already knew Dylan Combs because he's from Kentucky, so I already knew him, and I rode up to the camp with him, actually. So through him, the vet, other vets, Jonathan, Tim, Mike Royer, kind of got to know me, and I kind of – I didn't get – like you said, you didn't give contracts at the first camp. I didn't get a contract at the first camp, but all four of them were like, yep, we like you. Like Dylan basically right. told me on the way home, he was like, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to work out. Like we all like you. Like you fit in well with us. Our pers- We were hanging out at night and everything. And then Blue Coats, it was the kind of the same thing in 2012. I had done yep. indoor with a couple of those guys. They told all the staff, they were like, yep, we hang out with every weekend. He's solid. He, he handles his business. Like, he's not going to blow up in mid-July, like you just said. So, like, yeah, fitting in matters. Like, doing what you're supposed to and making a good impression, not just verbally, like you said, is extremely important. Right, and you want to have fun too. So if yep. you have, yeah, heck yeah, a couple <laughs> kids that are driving you crazy, exactly. No matter what happens, right? Yeah, you know, like '84, I my that was my age out. That was my worst year ever, and that was probably to some people the best drum corps show ever. And you know, we won again. You know, and but man, it was just miserable because we didn't get along. We never slept. We never ate. Well, that was cadets anyway, but, you know, it was <laughs> now we had two buses out of three. We never had three because thing was broken down. The air conditioning. It was just it was the whole summer. You know, I mean, I should be about 200 and some pounds. I, I walked away from I was 140 pounds, you know, <laughs> and, um, but that was my worst summer because I was just like, get me the hell out of here. I think by winning, it was like, all right, at least we got something because nothing else was going right, you know. Yeah, um, some sort of like cherry on top of this like poop sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we had our best performance at prelims that year, and then and then in um, finals there was a mellophone in prologue. I could still see it. It was the one to twenty four. We're coming down, and I hear the I hear a mellophone, and I'm like in my head, I'm like, oh shit, that was like way early. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Dude, that sounds like my last year. I didn't end up in, I didn't end up marching my my age out, but uh, I did 09 crown, and then I went back for 2010. But 2010 was just yeah. There was just a lot of turmoil within the line, and we had a lot of injuries and people coming in and out, and the kid had to leave a the for the summer for some like mental like kind of breakdown issues, and it was just like it was even though it was my second year and mentally it was easier it was also like way more challenging i didn't start out the center but i ended the summer as a center and i was just like wow <laughs> yeah. i can't do this again uh <laughs> so yeah it, I, it was pretty wild so you mark so uh, one of my top two favorite cores outside of cadet stuff is has been was crown 09 it was a it was a fun summer that was my rookie year of yeah. drum corps the first thing that i ever did um I like you said, it took me a while to earn my contract. I don't think I got my contract till February, but I just I persevered through every camp. Like I just showed up better every weekend. I basically forced them to give me one because I didn't give them a reason to cut me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And thankfully, Lee and Zach, um, even though I didn't have experience marching drum corps, they were just like, he's he's good enough. They just they they were like, yeah, you're good enough. So here it is. Um, That's cool. 
Well, the and, opening, the opening minute, you guys <laughs> coming off the back, man. And, and I don't know, I don't, I mean, you're talking Oh nine, but it was like just out of this fast stuff. And you're just, you know, I want to say it was very cadet. Like I just, in my head watching it, you know, no, knowing Lee wrote it. I'm like, man, that's freaking cool. Like just seems some low end stuff to some fast stuff. And I, I thought that whole thing was cool. That was awesome. That, yeah, that opener from starting in behind the end zone, off the sideline, just coordinating that in that uh, that whole storm and St. Michael chart that Lee wrote. I remember at one point Zach had actually counted every single note on the page, like including grace notes, and we were like, "Of course, Zach would do this." Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but he 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 had the number, and I don't I don't even have a clue. That I still have the charts, and it's just like black, like the page is black. <laughs> And we're all like looking like, what's going, what's, what is this about? But it it was awesome. It was, it was a hype. Like you, like you were talking about, it was kind of just like, we're going to do this. Is maybe this, would it typically fit for the moment? But Lee went for it. It kind of reminded me actually yeah. of that 05 stuff in Liquid where there's like the add-in where it's like this slow ballad. But they're just random notes anyway. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny with that whole thing. We hardly ever worked on it for whatever reason. It seemed, you know, we get the we get the most credit on that because you're adding in the horn lines doing slow. We're kind of moving, you know, kind of double time, and then we back up. You know, you figure you go into the horn line, so we backed up, um, and then we get a lot of credit, a lot of comments like, "Oh man, that's that's challenging." And I swear to God, I don't, we we hardly ever worked on it until maybe the end of the season. <laughs> It was just one of those that just kind of worked, you know, and sometimes you do stuff and you're nervous and then you put it out there and you go, wow, that's that's working. And it, it actually got it was supposed to be the other way. So, Jeff, so that the drum line was supposed to come into the horn line. And so that was that was the deal that was on the storyboard. And I don't know if Jeff didn't get the notes right or what, but he backed the drum line out. So that was Jeff. And I remember we're up on top at, at spring training and. You know, I you know, I guess is you know, George is chewing Jeff out and you know, we're all that's not right, drumline, you know, and, and it ended up being like, you know, one of the best things, one of the more creative things in a ballad or even in a show where you go, Man, that's like it was that's so cool. Yeah. You know, and uh but you know, it's just it's funny how that just that piece just happened and you know, we never really worked on like trying to line that up and maybe it's a good thing we didn't. <laughs> Because <laughs> we just screwed it up. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, I'll kind of shift gears for us here a little bit, yeah. and uh, I'll take this in a different direction. Um, I think that a lot of people, especially today in the indoor circuit or WGI and DCI, I mean, obviously you've been inducted into both Hall of Fames, into DCI in 06, I believe, and WGI in 2014, but they see – your body of work in the year 2019 or 2020 at Dartmouth. And they're like, oh, this utopia program where everything must be right. It just must work. Like he must have like <laughs> unlimited funds and unlimited support and all the kids just practice all the time and do what they want. But obviously you've been there for years and years and decades. Yeah. What sort of like, I guess, setup in culture have you created there to get from like where you were originally to like obviously where it is now. And that's a, yeah. that's a broad time lapse, but 
Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's your, you know, talking 28 years. This will be 28 years this year. And, um, you know, there were probably two or three years that I was going to, like, leave. I was looking for another job. This was, like, late 80s. I'm sorry, late late 90s, early 2000. And, um, you know, and financial. I mean, it's a small school. It's about 1,000 kids at the high school, one middle school, three elementary schools. I and, did not um, know that. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, there's – I started um, – 20 it was 26 percussion and then three elementaries i have i have 58 percussion at the middle school and then um i think this year at the high school because we use eighth graders in the high school marching band and indoor um so just the high school kids i think it's about 26 um and again that doesn't include the eighth graders but you know it's been a it's been a long it's been a long and hard road i mean you know people do they look at like the props or they look at the indoor and they go oh this guy's got the money and um but i think i think the culture that i wanted to create was you know i think it's i think number one i want the kids to i want i want the kids to self-motivate so i don't want to yell at them you know i want i want these kids to act like drum corps kids and i came in in 92 from drum corps and they acted like high school adolescent jerks. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Right? And so now it's to the point where these kids, you know, look at the rehearsal an hour early on their own. Um, I mean, rehearsals are as intense as drum corps rehearsals. And, you know, the leadership has subsectionals. And, you know, there's a protocol to the rehearsal. Almost to the, almost to the point the kids remind, hey, I'm drunk, you know, like we have a protocol, like, so when we're, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's <laughs> they awesome. remind me what the protocol is, but you know, it's getting the leader leaders on board. Um, again, I don't want to yell at them. Like I, I want kids. I don't want to have to force them to come rehearsal. We're not going to be that. That's why I tell them. If I got to force you, then we're not going to be a good, as good as we could. But if you're as motivated as I am and we're working together, this thing can be, this thing can be great. So, you know, you go from, you know, in the early days, on an indoor season would be a Wednesday night for two and a half hours to now we do Monday after school to five, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, six to nine, you know, Saturdays are 10 to nine. <laughs> I told the parent, you know, I was like, parents like, well, what do you what's your Saturday practice? Like I said, it's 10 to nine. She goes, you mean nine to 10? I go, no, no, 10 in the morning till nine at night. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I just got to screw up the times and. Uh. But, you know, I'm, I, I trust the kids. And like I said, they got to go to the bathroom. I trust they're going to do the right thing, go to the bathroom and come back. And, you know, if, if they say I have I can't go to rehearsal, I'm like, yep, I got you. You have to tell me. Be, I mean, I, I want to treat them like professionals and not like kids because um, I want to, you know, I want to try to give them life skills. So when they leave, it's like, you know, yeah, you got to be on time for your job. You know, these are things you can you can do with your kids or your work or whatever you're going to do after this. So, you know, and how to communicate. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, the drumming is a it's a tool. Right. And I, you know, as a teacher, it's 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 a tool that we use to kind of teach those, you know, know, those life skills. But um, again, it's always it's 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 always trying to learn. It's like, how do I how do I make the kids play better, younger? Um, you know, like in 92, the kids could play and then you kind of go, you know, you you know, you go for a couple of years and you go, okay, now what do I got to do? Um, so I had a bunch of kids, like my first year we went to WGI, we did Batman, 
those two tenor players marched cadets that year. <laughs> I you think actually someone just posted that on like one of those drumline drumline AV or something on one of those Facebook groups, and I was like, "This is insane! What is happening right now?" You <laughs> did post that. There were two of them, right? There was only two quads. Yeah, there was only two. Yeah, it was yep, uh, Peter that was the video. and Dave Lord. Yeah. And uh, well, they wrote the quad features. I, I, I remember telling Peter Antunes, I said, "All right, go away for an hour." And here you got thirty-two counts. I said, "At the end of thirty-two counts, I need I need the audience to be screaming." So just go, <laughs> just go do it. <laughs> Seriously, it I worked. just had my, I had those kids because I'm like, what am I gonna, you know, what am I gonna do with these kids? Um, but you know, it's it, it's definitely not perfect because you know, you, just when you think you have it, there's always because they're adolescent kids. There's always a kid that, you know, is going to give me a hard time or a parent is going to come in and ream me for something, you know, or, I mean, I had this kid that uh, marched Spartans as an eighth grader. So he's going into the eighth grade and he's marching in the Spartans drum corps in the snare line. Jeez. Yeah. But, you know, cut to the chase two years later, I, he, I have to kick him out of the group at the high school and he moved to another school now. He just didn't have the attitude. He just didn't have the, you know, I, I talked to the kids about team. You know, it's like, it's not about the individual. It's about, you know, like stuff that we're just talking about tonight. It's like, you got to work together. Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to understand each other's personalities. You got to gel and, you know, so it's, it, it's, it's a long road. It's, uh, you know, now with this, with, with this quarantine thing, I, you know, I thought and the team that I had here that this year's group, I thought my best group was 2014, uh, my oldest son's senior year. And I, to get a chance, I mean, again, I don't, I don't like to talk about myself, but man, that that line, that snare line, there was stuff that they played that I could not play at some point based on the tempo. <laughs> Seriously, and it was high school. It was the, the stuff that, I think there was, someone posted something a while back. It was like something that the snares were playing in a subsectional. You know, and you think that this is Dartmouth on crack. It's not. This is the true tempo or something. But it was, was that the, the Beethoven show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But um, in that so in that in that drum line, I had in the snare line, I had my son who marched, who had just marched crown. There's another snare that the next year marched crown and was a tenor section leader. There's another. There was a tenor that marched cadets that year and then marched Blue Devils two years after that. And there was a bass drummer that marched uh, Phantom. Um, so that was Jeez. that was kind of like, and I had my mallet player, my section leader, was first chair All-Eastern and just graduated from Juilliard. So it was like, Jeez. you know, yeah, and those, kids, <laughs> those kids just kind was of. Was that the kid that did the xylo solo that year? Or was there no one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. We started yeah. out with a little xylo, yeah. You know, and that was kind of. I, I, if you said to me like 20 years ago, like that's what was going to happen with Dartmouth, I'm going, yeah, no way. I mean, you know, some of that stuff I used in, in 2014, I wrote in the 2017 cadet feature. <laughs> <laughs> I did. So if you, if you go, if you look at some of that opening, it's like the opening three minutes, check out the snare feature that those four kids did. And then you go to the drum feature in cadets 2017 it's a lot of the same stuff because the tempo was right. The groove, the style, you know, was, just it was, it was, yeah, it just worked. And, uh, 
you know, and I used to, I used to kid with the, the guys in 17. I'm like, uh, yeah, guys, you'll get that. I know you're a little slower than the 2014 line. And, um, and, but those guys were only high school, but don't worry. You'll get it eventually. It's fine. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Yeah. So uh, I thought, I thought this year's group would be my strongest out of all the years. My youngest son, this next year is going to be the section leader, but man, just the gel, the vibe of the group. Every section was, I thought, top notch. You know what I'm saying? And but you know, it's just like so. You know, it's sad that we're not able to do WGI. But you know, for me and our team, we're like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. I think I think a lot of people have uh, that similar sentiment. I was teaching an independent world group, and it's just sometimes you feel like, Oh, we had the right kids. We had the right show. Like yeah. to really just, obviously you want to be competitive, but to ultimately have something really cool and special for them at the end of the year. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people can echo that sentiment. Just like, really, this, this is the year that we're, yeah. we're going to cancel the season. <laughs> it's definitely unfortunate. I mean, I know, um, I was just thinking about this the other day, just the blue coats snare line this coming season for 2020 and drum corps was all vets. Right. All yeah. nine of them were vets, not a single rookie. And I was like, right. that's going to be no. It, obviously, they've awarded like an extra summer for anybody that was an age out, but that's going to be, I doubt all, I will be surprised if all of them come back. It's going to be the summer of what if. Yeah. It'll be tough. Um, yeah. For, your, for your Dartmouth kids, do you emphasize or focus more or use both equally as far as like fall versus winter, the marching band versus the indoor program? Is it like just like they get the benefit of drumming year round or they look forward to, I mean, as a percussionist, I would obviously look forward to the indoor more as a drummer myself, yeah. just because that's your kind of time to shine. Well, the, I think the indoor, like when I first got there, um, you know, it, it had started a couple of years before in this area. Um, and, you know, we just go Wednesday nights and the indoor was, a chance to keep the kids going for marching band, right? To, to develop their, their skills. That's how really the indoor kind of started. And now it's turned into, we use the marching band, marching band to develop the kids for indoor. And, um, you know, like I said, I try to evolve. So, you know, we, up until 2010, we didn't use eighth graders. And I said, you know what, what if I brought eighth graders in and I trained them a year before they should go in there? I mean, imagine you're an eighth grader and you just went to world championships. How much better you're going to be as a freshman, <laughs> right? So I started doing that, and so I noticed, like, my eighth graders were better because they—that was kind of the culture. That's what we were going to do. And by the time you were a senior, you were playing like you could play at the cadets. I mean, you know. So I was like, that's cool. You know, the private lesson thing was always, you know, I always try to push that. But it's it's public school, so you have to be careful. You know, and then, you know, I, I run a drum club. I can't do, I can't compete at the middle school. It just, we don't, it's not set up right. It's a middle school. It's an after school program. And they don't want, so in other words, like the sports is not connected to the middle school. The town runs the sports for the middle school. So we can't do anything competitive. But I run a drum club. I run percussion ensembles. Um, you know, I try to, try to figure out a way at a younger age to get these kids to do more. So when you go to the high school, that's when they can kind of showcase what they do up until this past year, 
whatever you played in marching band is what you played in indoor. And so this year I did an audition. So for marching band, I marched five snares, three tenors, um, five bass drums, six marimbas, and seven vibes. And so what we did is we had auditions, and I went to four, two, and six. So the, the snare and the tenor, I moved back to bass. And then I dropped two marimbas and put them on the vibes, and the younger kids moved out. And so what I did is I went, all right, here are my horses. This is what I'm going to go with. Mm-hmm. Rather than you know, rather than taking a freshman who's playing quads, and I have to get him up. And, man, it just – that's why I'm saying this is, I thought, one of my better groups because, you know, it was like, it was like bam. <laughs> it's like – I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, I didn't need to do this before, but <laughs> – I think it's just kind of doing little tricks along the way like that to constantly try to, you know, play better and, and, and just be stronger and be more, you know, I don't know. It just, I keep growing. I mean, if, if I figured if, if I, if I don't think like that, then it's probably time for me to get the hell out, you know? Yeah. Do um, you, do you identify kids young? Do you start, you get them in sixth grade or do you do elementary too? I do elementary, so... So how early do you do you start trying to, like... You can kind of tell what kids have a knack for what instrument, whether it be mallets, quads, bass, snare, sim, whatever it is. Yeah. And kind of try to steer them in that direction and then kind of plan years ahead of time? Or do you kind of let the kids kind of just pursue what they want and then, like you said, do the audition now? Or have you changed? Or it's it's Well, it's, it's actually both of those. So... We used to start in fourth grade, and then we lost a position, so now we start in fifth grade, which is, it actually works better because they're a little bit more mature. Fifth grade is bells, and then we do some snare drum. Now, here's the thing I've learned. It's hard to get young kids to play mallets, especially in middle school. So, elementary school is It's not. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard, right? Because you got to memorize just about everything, and you got like, you know, you got like, 32 bars or something and it's like miss strong so i can't do that so elementary school it's it's about 95 percent bells and five percent drums middle school i focus a lot more on the mallet stuff now if you're taking private lessons and i you know you don't hopefully some of my kids aren't listening to this but if you take private lessons hopefully they are yeah (laughs) (laughs) well those kids are going to get the snare part so my, my first thing is I want everyone to play. So if I have 22 percussion, everyone plays. But I can't have 10 snare drums. But I could have 10 mallet players playing the bell part. You know, so mm-hmm. I focus. Again, it's, it's not 90% bells. It's like, it's like 50. As they're going through the middle school, I'll, I'll kind of see where I think kids want to go. Like, it's cool now. I'll pass out a snare drum part to you know a kid and go, Mr. Trump's can I have the mallet part? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yes, you know? sir. Yeah. Perfect. And so as I see things happen, um, and at the middle school too, like everything we do technique wise is is drumming and then reading and the music and the um, kind of the playing of of percussion is mallets. So I try to stay away from like drum stuff i'll do mallet ensemble stuff again trying to because here's the thing when they're young and they go to the high school they're probably not going to play in the drum line so they're going to have to play in the pit well if they can't play mallets 
they're going to be like out of their minds, right? Well, I mean, I can't have like, I can't have 10 rack kids, you know? So I got to try to prepare them. Now I do, I have four Tom kids that I have that I use to train. But again, those are usually the kids that take private lessons. Um, And so I, as an eighth grader, I'll tell you where you're going to go based on your skill. So, yep, you take private lessons. Yep. Okay. You're going to go play Tom's. Okay, you take private lessons, but man, I, you know, how about you go work on, you know, you're going to play in the pit. So I'm, I'm starting to place kids. Um, and then after that first year, they get to audition. So, you know, you might be playing the mallet cat or something, and then you want to try out for the baseline. Okay, tryouts are in, in, in the spring, and you can do that. So this is, so I, I, I kind of place them, and then they get a chance to, kind of move around if, if if they want now here here's a you know here's an interesting story um this kid this tenor player that graduated 2014 with my son so really quiet in the middle school average below average player comes up to the high school i think i put him on the rack or something for the first year um now he's going into his sophomore years and he says mr drunks i want to try it for marimba okay now this is 2000 probably 11. I said, okay, you know, and he, he was, he was actually pretty good. I went, wow. So you, you started to see the light bulb go on. So then I thought, man, this is going to be a, he's going to be a great marimba player. This is going to be awesome. Cause he has some, some decent chops. So the next year, oh, so then he plays marimba again. So his junior year, he comes to me and he says, I want to try it for the quad line. I go, what? <laughs> I mean, you've been playing marimba. You're going to be like, start. No, I want to try it for the quad line. I'm like, okay. So in my head, I'm like, you know, come on, man. He's playing marimba. I don't, he's not playing drums. So, it. He gonna, so he comes in and he blows me away on quad. So behind <laughs> the scenes, now this is a kid that's never taken private lessons. Wow. His name's Ian Mursky. And so March quads. He was one of the, the next year, he marched cadets quads. So that was 15. And then he marched with my son at Blue Devils, 16 and 17 in the quad line, Ian Mursky. Jeez. So I tell that story because sometimes you don't know. Sometimes the kid in the middle school that, you know, can't tie his shoes or, <laughs> you know, like, okay, flip them out around. You have the butt end. You know what I'm saying? That could be the kid that the light bulb will go on. And that was me. You know, middle school, I was a mess, but finally hit me in high school. So... You have those kind of kids, you know, and I, I try to make it so I guide them, but yet I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure that they're, they're fulfilling their dream. I um, think that, I think that you know. pedagogy is like so important for young kids. And we were talking about this with Paul and we have on many of our other podcasts too, is just the percentage of kids that I'm sure that you have that go on to be like music education majors is probably not super high. Like it's probably typical for most programs. So the importance of being able to create a great experience for them, teach them how to develop skills and how to become great at a craft and just like how to become humans, like an adult is just like so important. Yep. Yep. Well, that's it. That's, that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, in, let's say in four years, I might have two kids that'll go off into music, you know, or you'll have, I have a lot of kids like, man, this is awesome. I want to go into music and then, but realize that, you know, they go to music school and it's nothing like what we just kind of did. 
you know, as far as the indoor thing. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's trying to, trying to teach them how to be just better, better people. And, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of cool when, you know, kids come back with their family. We have a night of percussion, which we always do in April and we have the alumni that come back. So this past, not this year, but last year, I think we had 75 alumni come back. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And we take a big picture and, you know, because I, and my whole thing is, you know, I want, I want them to bring their families back. I want them to come back after 10 years and go, man, this is still, this is still happening. This is actually better than what I was in. And I'm proud of it. You know, I want, I want to kind of keep that, I guess that Dartmouth legacy going for, you know, as long as I can. And, you know, because it's, we'll, we'll see, you know, it's like, it, you know, I have people ask me like, what do you got? I said, well, my I, I kind of said my, my youngest son graduate, which is next year, that'll be 29. Once I hit 30 years, you know, that's when they start to like, you know, they start to push you out a little bit because <laughs> they're trying to get young guys in, I guess. But, you know, I'm still passionate about what I do. You know, I don't like the, you know, like sometimes the administration can be challenging and, you know, it's like you get a new person coming in and, why is the band in the in the gym? And like, well, we're not the band; we're the indoor drumline. Yeah, but that's used for sports, you know. You still have to deal <laughs> with that, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It's it's been a it's been a good ride, and um, I tell the kids, it's like I've I've kind of you know I always wanted to do drum corps, and now I just kind of do it at Dartmouth in a different kind of way, you know. I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have to ask before we move past this or close this out eventually. Yeah. Why mash grip? What's the philosophy <laughs> I, I behind mash that grip? That was not on the list, and I thought, I thought, man, I hope they ask me about mash grip. I, yes, I, I have to ask what what is, you know, I just it's always blown my mind being with the cadets for so long and the drum corps and everything. And why not traditional grip? Because Alex was in the snare line at sixteen, he could yes. play traditional grip. He had a traditional grip snare feature solo or something in the indoor show that year. So did Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why match? It's, it's all, it's a, there's, there's a mystique behind the whole, the process here that people don't know. And, um, you know, I always tell people it's something in the water. So when you come to Dartmouth and you drink the water, you could play master traditional and, and it's, you know, people will look, I'm, I'm, I have a very dry sense of humor. So when I say that people are looking at me like, is that real? And I'm like, no, it's not real. I'm just kidding <laughs> with you. But, <laughs> but I, so I came to Dartmouth in 92 and they played matched. And a lot of the groups in New England played matched. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Charlie Poole tar- taught Dartmouth in the Charlie 80s. Poole. And so a lot of the Boston groups, like uh, Avant Garde, you know, 27th Lancers, they played match grip. And I think high schools picked that up. So I came up, 92. And, um, you yeah, know, I never played match. I was a traditional player. So I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's fine. Because to me, it was always about playing well. And I think at that time, you know, no one really said anything. And then, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, you know, people are saying, you know, like, well, you know, why do they do the match thing? And so, you know, I think that's one part of the other part of is it's a universal grip. So I was talking about my middle school kids. You know, if I want a mal player to go play, you know, snare drum or go play concert time or go play timpani, you know, it's. It's pretty much the same approach with, you know, some adjustments because of the, the shaft of, you know, the, uh, uh, the implement. 
and so when they get to the high school, and one of my goals is I want them to be well-rounded. So if you ever, if you guys ever came and you're invited, if you ever came to my night of percussion, you'll see snare drummers go play marimba. You'll see, you know, mallet players go play timpani. You'll see a kid on bass drum go play drum set. It's I, I want the kids. They may not be like mas- masters at playing four mounts, but they're 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 percussionists. You know, like my son, you know, my youngest. He just learned, he learned a ragtime because I told him, I said, now's the time to learn some stuff for college. And yeah, he's, he's kind of doing it on his own. Um, so I want the kids to, to understand the world of percussion. So you play matched, it's easy to move, right? If you got a, if you got a quad player, and I've done this, that you want to have move over to the snare line because he's going to be the section leader or you need that player. And I did this two years ago. This is what you. This is what you do. You point at the kid in the quad line, and say, "Man, those drums are heaven." He goes, "Yeah, they are." I said, "Well, take four steps." There you go. Now pick <laughs> up that drum. See how light that one is, and you don't have to change your technique at all. <laughs> that's what Paul did, right? Yeah, they, that's. Yeah. I was going to say that. So Paul played tenors, and then as the section leader, I moved him into the snare line. Now you have to, you know, the touch on the on a Kevlar head is different, but and I think it's. You know, people, I don't know, ask me that. And I think it's our thing, you know, like, and it's always been about playing well. And so, you know, the kids are like, Mr. Drunk, so we're going to change. I was like, I thought about it, but it's what Dartmouth does. It's like our, it's Iconic. our thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a little bit tradition and a little bit just, just, uh, what's the word? Um, oh, we're going to do it because we can do it. <laughs> yeah. <know>. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've always, I mean, I've never cared. I think people, whatever, in the YouTube comments or the Instagram comments are like, oh, blah, blah, blah. They see videos of you guys, obviously, because you've been very much in the forefront of the activity. And now recently, too, with some of, like, the flow marching stuff, like the Vandergrift, who are successful, Joe Hobbs running that group down there in Texas. At the end of the day, like, you're teaching an approach to the instrument that is universal and an approach to the instrument that is practical like you're teaching them how to play with quality of sound how to control the implement and like that and you're not creating bad habits like a lot of times people if they learn the traditional grip too early they're gonna have a lot of bad habits that their fingers and their hands if they learn it when they have really small hands they're just not going to be able to they're not gonna be able to overcome some of those things um yeah so i didn't i actually started out my first year in high school playing traditional grip transferred schools uh because i moved and played match grip my sophomore and junior year and then we switched to traditional my senior year but i had like private lessons for years and a couple years to really like hone in and figure that out i'm like all right how do i actually play a legato rebound with this weird (laughs) traditional grip so well i've had some bad habits i've had some i've had a lot of kids like my son, you mentioned that, and then Alex, you know, went to Blue Stars, and they had. Here's the thing: if there's a strong foundation, musically and technically, behind the player, which the kids at Dartmouth are gonna get, it wasn't really that hard. Like my son, my youngest son, he went and tried out for Spartans, and so, literally in last fall, he said he wanted to do it. I said okay, and I said, you know, I'll help you if you want. He said yeah. So I kind of showed them you know, the fulcrums and the forearm stuff, and you know, whatever. 
And then, uh, and I said, you know, you can send me videos or whatever you want to do. I'll help you out. And so I said, but here's the thing. You got to work at it. Like no matter what you do. And, um, so he went and made, you know, made, made Spartans. And that's only really after, I mean, that was November. So you're talking two and a half months, but his foundation in playing his rudimental vocabulary was really strong. It was just adjusting, you know, how you're going to do your left, your left hand. And, you know, he's going to get stronger as he goes. But so here's a funny story about traditional and, and match. So in, in 2012, we had an indoor meeting. And it was at my place. And, um, you know, I, I try not to get on the forums and whatever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and someone, you know, one of the staff persons got on and, and um, you know, they were talking about traditional grip and match grip. And they're, you know, it was it was a post that included like Vanguard playing matched and yet Dartmouth plays match. And I don't know who the guy up there, the guy should be, you know, fired or something like that. That's stupid. It was one of those kind of <laughs> things. And, you know, usually I go whatever. And I said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to play match grip half the show. And then we're going to play traditional. And then, you know what? We might even pick up all tenors and we'll show everyone that this is the real grip. And um, <laughs> so, you know, Darcy, my ex, we still work together and she's the program coordinator for the, for the cadets and, you know, for the indoor. She says, that's perfect. I go, what are you talking about? Why don't we call it like evolved? You know, we, we're going to, we, you know, everyone plays this traditional grip and we've all evolved into the real grip. And I'm like, really? So it was the bird show. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. we made up a we made up she made up a fictional story that if there was no more Earth, how would man survive? They'd have to have they'd have to be half man, half bird. And it's basically half traditional, half match. So if you look at parts of the show right out of the gate, all, the, all five snares played traditional grip. And then we go to matched and, you know, we kind of go back and forth. And there's one spot in the middle where my son and Alex, they're playing a traditional solo. And there's the music is kind of get, gets really soft. And they turn their left hand and it goes up into traditional. I'm, I'm sorry, up into match. And they come down, which is basically like we've evolved, you know, into the real grip. And then we actually go and pick up eight sets of quads. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's one of those are like. I wasn't really pissed off, but I'm like, really? This is what we're talking about, like a certain grip we're using. Like, you know, it's like, isn't it about the quality of? Yeah. I'm over here. Is it like, it sounds great. What are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> what I've always said is if it really bothers you, just turn around or close your eyes and listen to how great it sounds. Yeah. Like, it, just don't watch it. Like, it's <laughs> the quality speaks for itself. Hey, yes. if, you, if you don't have haters in today's society, you're not doing it right. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, it's, it, I mean, that's part of it. It's, you know, I think with social media, it just gives people the opportunity to, I don't know, bitch about whatever and say whatever. And it, it's not face to face, you know? Um, oh yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's but, way less so. risk involved in, in spouting nonsense. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, Evan, do you have anything? I think we hit a lot of the stuff we wanted to. We've been going for, believe it or not, like an hour and 40 minutes. This has been awesome. I love it. Yep. Yes, it's been cool. Dude, yeah. I love it. I mean, I'm sure there's things that we could talk about for hours and hours. but For sure. <laughs> we won't but... keep Tom all night. Even though, <laughs> although <laughs> to now, we 
Although right now we all have infinite amounts of time as opposed to what we would normally have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, this is it's, it's cool to talk about this stuff because, um, you know, I guess someone, you know, Neil and I were talking about this where, you know, as you get older, you know, your life changes and you know, your kids kind of move on. And so, you know, he's he's in a different part of his life. He's, you know, not with Vic Firth or Zildjian anymore. And so he's trying to figure out like what his next chapter is. And, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of the battle, you're in the middle of the heat, you're like, God damn it. Like we're talking about like riding on a Thursday night before camp. You're like pissed off and you're Jesus, God, I can't believe. And but then you go to the camp and you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But but, you know, after doing it for such a long time and looking back and I I like talking about it. You know, again, I, I don't like to talk about myself necessarily because. I don't take myself too seriously, I guess. I, you know, I try to, I guess, enjoy life and, and I want to grow and I want to keep moving forward. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to live in the past, I guess. But this was fun because it's just fun to talk about, I think, some great stuff. I mean, I, you know, the again, memories, man. Yeah. yeah the friendships, memories. the people you meet. I mean, and that's kind of really the reason that Mike and I started. I mean, Mike approached me. He's like, dude, I think we, I think we could do this, like just get together and talk and hang out. And that's basically what we do anyway. Like right. what you probably do with like Neil and people like that. And Mike and the people we marched with, we get together and reminisce on like mm-hmm. old stories and like, Oh, remember that time that Tom Hannum <laughs> gave me a bunch of Frisbees? And I was like, no way. But he's like, no, this is what we're doing. <laughs> it's stuff like that. It's like, yeah, like that's, that's what it's all about. That that yeah. was the motivation for this. I was I was at the gym one day listening to the the Joe Rogan podcast. You've listened to it, and I kind of just had the thought of why does nothing like this exist for the the marching percussion activity? Because every younger person I've been around, older person, we all have all these awesome conversations at bars, people's houses, at shows, just to talk about all the great times and the memories, and we reminisce and when I was younger, I wanted to hear about all these things. And I was like, why, why doesn't something like this exist? So I just called him at the gym in that exact moment and said, let's just start this. We, That's awesome. between the two yeah. of us, we're connected to a lot of people that we were taught by. We have taught, we have connections to through, through, through both of those things. Like why not, why not us? Why don't we do this? And so it's, we've had a blast doing it. And That's awesome. it's been really it's just cool. fun for us. I mean, yeah. regardless of anything else, it's just fun to have these conversations. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, the, some of the first podcasts I've ever listened to was Ira Glass. And, um, you know, and I, I never really got into it, but I don't know, I was driving somewhere and I'm, I'm listening to this. And, you know, uh, the guy's name is Rick Barry and he played basketball, like I think in like the early 60s. And, you know, he shot free throws underhanded um, and he had like his percentage was like off the charts. So anyway, he was I think he was inter- interviewing this guy. And then it had turned into Wilt Chamberlain and how Wilt, you know, was a terrible free throw shooter. And then he Rick Barry tried to teach him underhand. And that year he did underhand. But and he is that he averaged 50 points a game and it was like incredible. But, you know, I guess the the moral of the story was. He, he didn't continue because they called him sissy and they made fun of Wilt Chamberlain. And so, you know, he went back to shooting the other way and had a bad percentage. But, you know, they interviewed Rick Barry and, and they said, well, why did he do that? Because this, it was all about society and, you know, why you know, people will do things based off of they don't want to be called a sissy or they don't want to be called, 
you know, stupid or whatever. And but they're stigmas. All, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so I thought to myself, I'm like, man, Wilt had all these records and still does. He could have like went through the roof and, you know, Wilt Chamberlain for me, you know, being a Sixer fan and all that, you know, I, I think, I, you know, I love like reading about him, but I thought, man, you know, so he decided like he would forget all of that and just shoot overhand and be called, you know, you're a man now instead of a sissy. You know, I was like, what? <laughs> that was my what first a bad podcast, free throw shooter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I think the podcast stuff is cool. And I try to now I'm like an NPR guy. Like I'm that's what I listen to when I'm driving wherever. And, and if I can get some of that stuff, I love listening to that. So it's cool. Yep. Well, this has been a blast to hang out for a couple hours and just kind of sure. shoot the shit and talk about everything and kind of dive into your background. But I think it's time to close this out. So Evan, you got any, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, just super grateful for uh, taking the time to talk with us. Uh, it's been a blast for me as really, like we mentioned earlier, a uh, cadet fan from probably the start of my marching mm-hmm. percussion career. It's been a, uh, you don't like to talk about you, but I certainly like to talk about you. Um, so it's been a real treat for me personally. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Again, this is, like I said, this is awesome to, uh, to do this and just kind of, you know, talk about the memories and stuff. So yeah, I got, I got more stories, man. You know, what you should do is get Neil and I on because we have, man, yeah. we would we love to do stories. it. We would, <laughs> we would do it in a heartbeat. We'll make it, we'll make, we'll make this happen. If you guys are up for yeah. it, we will, we'll definitely make that yeah, happen. Yeah, we'll work it out. <laughs> yeah, right, no, well, I know. We'll Neil drive up to Massachusetts it, so. for it. <laughs> there you go. We're going to get, miss, like, uh, I, I, think I, to, I think I told Evan, we're going to get some, like, six inches, not here, but north of Boston. Uh, it's supposed to get snow. It's crazy coming wow. up. I'm like, what? I miss Jeez. some Antonio's pizza there in Amherst. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. All right. Well, all right, guys. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us and sticking around for the whole podcast. I'll reiterate the spiel from the beginning. Subscribe on YouTube. Comment on the video with any questions. Like the video. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow on Instagram and Facebook for all ep- updates about new episodes. Uh, hit us up on patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast. If you'd like to support us financially in any way, it would be greatly appreciated. And we will see everybody hopefully in a couple weeks with the next episode. And Tom, it's been amazing again. Thanks Thank a you. million. Peace. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep.